Our scripture today is, comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, of those whom you gave me I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, of what I, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas to the high, pri to the high priest. Annas, sorry. Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his quarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. We are approaching the end of John's Gospel, just a few more weeks. But this is a highly dramatic, very complicated situation that John recalls intimately. He was there. Many motivations fueled the remarks, the statements, the actions, the decisions of everybody around Jesus that night and then into that early morning. In the words and actions of all of these players, you hear discouragement, you hear fear, you see loyalty and jealousy. You see power and even apathy. What motivates us where Jesus is concerned? What motivates us concerning Jesus? Where do we stand with Him? What motivates us concerning our faith or following Jesus? What motivates us about religion? or being religious, or being a part of religion, or part of a church. What motivated these folks? Well, Judas revealed he was never really loyal to Jesus. He was with Jesus, but he wasn't loyal to Jesus, we discover. Maybe he was loyal to some idea, 
or ideal that Jesus proved to not be. We see in Peter, Peter revealed that he was misguided in his loyalty. Peter was loyal, but he was confused about Jesus. After all that time, he still did not understand him. The Pharisees revealed their jealousy. They were so blinded, these religious leaders were so blinded by their jealousy that they couldn't even see their own hypocrisy in the situation. Pontius Pilate revealed a political mind motivated by power and practicality, expediency, as was with Caiaphas, the high priest. Well, what motivates you? You know, where, where do you see yourself in the scene? All these people hovering around Jesus, where do you see yourself? John, uh, referred to in chapter 18 as the other disciple alongside of Peter in the courtyard of the high priest, John tells this scene with such intimacy, doesn't he? We almost all feel exposed ourselves as we read his account. Everyone in John chapter 18 betrays someone or betrays something. So where do we see ourselves in all of this and what can we learn from it? Well, the only, um, the only trustworthy and faithful person is Jesus. You're going to see Jesus act and speak in such a way now that really is consistent with everything he's been saying and doing throughout John's Gospel. And I want to talk about Jesus and religious America. Lord put some things on my heart as I studied and meditated on this passage this week that were difficult for me to think about, but I want to share them with you. I want to talk about Jesus and religious America, and I want to talk about Jesus and agnostic America. And I want to talk about Jesus and you. So those kind of three categories of of looking at this, Jesus and religious America, Jesus and agnostic America, I'll explain what that means, and Jesus and you. Jesus and religious America. Okay, so the first religious group I want to talk about um, is the evangelical church. Jesus and the evangelical church. So, like Peter, some people are with Jesus, but unwisely combatant for him. Could that be the evangelical church? When I use the word evangelical, I, I don't mean a political voting block. I don't mean American conservatism, because the word doesn't really mean what it meant historically. What I mean is evangelical in its historical connotation. It just comes from an old, an ancient word that meant good news. Historically, evangelical Christians are those who believe that the Bible is God's word containing God's truth, and we believe in the Great Commission that God's truth must be shared with the world and we make disciples until Jesus comes back. So the supremacy of God's word of Scripture and the great commission to share that good news with the world and make disciples, that's historically what evangelical meant. So that's what I'm talking about, okay? Evangelicals, I think, know that we are with Jesus, but we have often been impulsive and embraceive about it. So as secularism 
expands in our society, we have often shown poor judgment under pressure. All you got to do is look at social media for the last five years, and you see a whole lot of evangelicals exercising poor judgment under pressure. Where sometimes we're more interested in the politics of morality than the mission of God. Like Peter, whose passion and adrenaline got the better of him. We reveal that misguided loyalty by essentially cutting people's ears off. And then they can't hear the truth because we've cut their ears off in, in our combatant posture as we begin to feel put into a corner. We do not always follow the Apostle Paul's example when he said to the Corinthians, I have become all things to all people, all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Years ago, um, I preached on that passage and how we should not contend with people in order to eventually embrace them, but it's quite the opposite by Paul's example in the New Testament. We embrace people as they are so that we can contend for the truth in their lives. We embrace people so that we may contend, not by combating with them, but by contending for the truth and for this beautiful gospel in their lives. We embrace so that we can contend for the truth. It's not that we contend with people so that someday they might embrace us. Sometimes, like Peter, we have that paradigm upside down. Or if we're not combatant with our friends and neighbors in the society, then we definitely cower to the culture. Peter, you see in this passage, oscillates like a fan, back and forth. He oscillates from unchecked loyalty to Jesus to embarrassed denial that he was even associated with him and knew who he was. Having cut off Malchus's ear, entering the high priest's courtyard now, through a back door, so to speak, maybe he was embarrassed. Who knows? I can only imagine what was going on in Peter's mind at that moment. But in a matter of hours, Peter goes from, don't touch my Messiah, to Jesus who? And look, I, I love you all, and I want to be very gracious and careful about, about what I say But let's not jump too quickly on criticizing, oscillating Peter. Christians oscillate all the time. Evangelicals oscillate all the time. Just think about about, um, how how it's so prevalent when, when evangelicals defend Jesus in their social media posts and then in a different app on their phone they look at pornography within hours of each other. We oscillate back and forth all the time from defending Jesus unwisely to denying that we even know Him practically. From undiscerning combat to embarrassed cowering, evangelical Christians need to assess their motivations concerning Jesus. Where are we with respect to Jesus and what's happening to Him here? Now in this room, and on the feed, I'm assuming that everybody is, most of the people listening in here are evangelical Christians, we would say. But I want to talk about another group of people. I want to talk, the second religious group I want to talk about is the liberal church. 
We've talked about the evangelical church. I want to talk about Jesus and the liberal church. You know, like the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin was like, they, this was the religious, the, this was the body of religious authority, like a little religious senate. You had the high priests, the priests, you had the elders of the people, you had the Pharisees, and you had the scribes, the teachers of the law, right? The religious hierarchy, the religious power structure, the religious professionals, Highly regarded in that day in Jerusalem. Like the Sanhedrin, some people are around Jesus, but they don't recognize Him as God and Lord. Could that be the liberal church in our society? Now, when I use the word liberal, again, I'm not talking about politics. When I say liberal, I mean ideologically progressive. I mean progressive for the sake of being progressive. I mean, not progressive as in championing the Bible's ethics in life and culture. I mean, championing ethics as our culture defines what ethics is. There's a difference. Maybe you are a part of the liberal church. Uh, you are inspired by Jesus, but you don't love him. He is an inspiration to you. He is an example to you, but you don't know him. Like the Pharisees, at the height of their hypocrisy, you're worshiping a cause, not a person. I mean, think about it. The Pharisees were blindly, the Sanhedrin, they were blindly committed to ceremonial purification, right? You know how they go to Pilate, they drag Jesus to Pilate, they want Pilate to deal with him, they want Pilate to pronounce the Roman death sentence because they knew that they couldn't do that. But they won't, even go in, they won't even go into Pilate's quarters because they want to remain ceremonially pure, it says, so that they could eat the Passover. That meant the whole week, from the Passover to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there was a big meal coming up that morning, and they wanted to be able to eat all of... They wanted to celebrate the holiday by remaining ceremonially pure. So they won't even go into, into Pilate's place. They make Pilate go back and forth between Jesus and them. So, so they are absolutely careful to follow the ideology of being ceremonially pure, but they cannot even see their own hypocrisy that they were committing an innocent man to death. They falsely accused an innocent man and could not recognize the Son of God who stood before them. And they released the wrong man. They begged for Barabbas, which, by the way, and the Castellines and I were talking about this a month ago, Barabbas in the Aramaic literally means son of the father. And it says here he was a robber. That's, that's a polite way of saying he was an insurrectionist. He had been imprisoned. If you read the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, Barabbas was imprisoned for being involved in a revolution, in an insurrection, and for murder. But the true son of the father they wanted to crucify. Now look, I'm not trying to, demean, to demonize anybody. I love you too. Uh, but have you missed the point of religion? A changed Peter would later say, a radically changed Peter would later, later say, actually, no, before I talk, yes, Peter would say, hold on, I don't want you to see this. Wait a second. A radically changed Peter would say to these very people, months later, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. 
They were around Jesus, but they didn't know Him. And they didn't recognize Him for who He truly was. You remember where, uh, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane earlier in the chapter and um, the Roman soldiers and the, the, temp, the Jewish temple guards, they all came like a horde following Judas and they arrested Jesus. But when, when Jesus said, whom do you seek? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And, and he said, I am he. And they all fell back to the ground. That's no joke. I am he. In the Greek, ego in me. In the Hebrew, anihu. This is the famous word that Isaiah declared about God when God said, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that, there it is, I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. You claim that God is still speaking, but have you learned what He has already said? Do you know Him? Liberal Christians also need to assess their motivations concerning Jesus and where they find themselves all around Him in this moment. But you know, it's time to talk about agnostic Americans. Because, and, and look, maybe you're here and you don't think you're religious, and maybe, maybe you're wondering, like, is there a God, and who is this Jesus, and should I, should I be involved with him? That's fair, and I'm glad you're here, but I want to talk about that. Let's talk about agnostic America. You know, like Pilate, some people are not opposed to Jesus, but they're distracted. They care about other things, and so they find no practical use for him. Pilate wasn't really against Jesus, right? You, you, you even see how Pilate keeps searching for an out. He keeps looking for a way to get Jesus off the hook, but his job was very important to him. He had people to answer to, and he was not going to let a riot ensue during a holy feast in Jerusalem on his watch. According to recent studies done in the last decade, only 5% of the American population claims to be atheistic. Right? So for argument's sake, only 5% of Americans would say there is no God, we're all accidents, and there's really no meaning to life and no purpose at all. We just got to make it up as we go. Only 5% of our population. But I think a lot of people live like agnostics. Agnostic, meaning I don't really know. I don't know. Many people, even if they go to church, live as though they cannot be sure that there is a God. And their words and actions prove that. Many people in America live as Pilate spoke, what is truth? How do I know? What do I know? What can I know? And this Jesus is a threat to you because His presence demands a response. You see? Pilate kept trying to get rid of the Jesus problem. Trying to keep the guy alive, but get the guy to go away. And he could only rid himself of the Jesus problem for a time. Because history has not forgotten that Pilate had the power to protect an innocent man and did not. Agnostic Americans also, I think, need to assess who Jesus is. And I invite you to do that. 
Where are you concerning Jesus? Now look, nobody got off the hook today. We're all in the, we're all in the hot seat, okay? We've all committed betrayal in some sense, haven't we? Evangelicals, liberals, agnostics, we've, we've all committed betrayal and abandonment, haven't we? Have you, like Judas or Peter, betrayed Jesus? Just ask yourself a question. Have you been following him and in some very serious ways you've betrayed him? Or like the Sanhedrin and these religious authorities, have you betrayed the truth when you're staring right at it? Or like Pilate, have you betrayed justice? Have you betrayed your own integrity and honor? We've all betrayed someone or something. Let's talk about Jesus and you. Jesus' response to Pilate is worth noting. Now, it says in verse 34, when Pilate uh, you know, said, so are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Now, that's interesting. I mean, on, in one sense, Jesus is saying, well, who's asking? Right? Like, like, who's accusing me of a crime? Are you now accusing me or are you just saying what the Jews are saying about me. But in another sense, I think Jesus is reaching out here. After all that he had been through the night before and this morning, Jesus stands before Pilate reaching out to his soul. You see? You see how he's doing it? This is the, the Roman governor and Jesus is leaving a door. The Son of God leaves a door open for Pilate to consider the question, who do you say I am? What do you think about me? Jesus is engaging. Jesus remains open. He's on the trial of his life and he's pursuing the man's soul because of his mission. This is the mission Peter didn't understand, which is why I hacked off the guy's ear. Jesus remains committed to his mission, which was not to fight, but to proclaim the truth. And so he says to Pilate in verse 36, he takes Pilate's concept of authority and turns it on its head. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was following a mission of a kingdom that was out of this world. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. That's why Jesus told Peter, put the sword away. That's why the leaders wanted Barabbas and not Jesus. They wanted a fighter, not someone who was prepared to die for the sake of his heavenly Father's mission to reconcile us back to God. So I've been asking in various ways, regardless of what perspective we're all coming from, where are you with Jesus? But let me reframe the question, where is Jesus with you? Hmm? Have you been betrayed by people that you trusted? Have you been betrayed by a friend or family member? I've been wondering how even through COVID, you know, just it's easy to feel abandoned or betrayed by people just when they don't reach out to you and contact you. And that's a very light version of betrayal or abandonment. Have you been betrayed by your friends? Jesus sympathizes with you. Have you been falsely accused of something? 
and on the basis of that false accusation or slander or gossip, you have been mistreated, Jesus sympathizes with you. Have you been abandoned to injustice by people in authority who did not speak up for you, stand up for you, or do the right thing? Jesus sympathizes with you. But in all of that, the New Testament tells us, in all of that, he didn't sin. You see, Peter sinned. But in all of that, Jesus did not. He didn't abandon his heavenly Father. He didn't abandon the mission to save us. He didn't abandon his integrity and his honor. And he won't abandon you. He won't abandon me. A lot of things are going to happen. I'm going to abandon people. They're going to abandon me. But Jesus won't. The only trustworthy and faithful person is Jesus. This shouldn't surprise us. If we read the Gospel of John, everything he does and everything he says here, under tremendous pressure, rings true with all that he's been saying. What motivated Jesus through all of this was faithfulness and love. He's pure. He's squeaky clean. Everybody's motivated by something in this scene, and Jesus is motivated by a love for His Father, a love for us, and, and, and that faithfulness to stay on mission. Wherever you see yourself in that whole ordeal, I hope you will see that Jesus is leaving the door open for you. What do you say about me? Do you think and believe what others have said about me? What do you think and believe about me? He said in Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. Maybe you know him. He's still pursuing you. Where are you with him? Maybe you don't know him. Maybe he's pursuing you. If he could pursue Pilate while he stood for his life, he can pursue you right now. Ask yourself where you are with Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, the plot is thickening and the intensity is uh, mounting and we are at the edge of our seats in amazement of what is happening. We're wrapped up in this, Lord. We're, we're, we're looking at Pilate and the, the predicament he was in. We're, we're looking at the religious leaders and what they're trying to accomplish. We're, we're, we're looking at Peter. We're, we're looking at, at uh, Judas. We're seeing in ourselves and those disciples a total freak show, a mess, a kangaroo court. But we look at Jesus and we're amazed by a love that is out of this world, by a mission, a faithfulness, an integrity that is like nothing we've ever seen or heard before. Father, draw us to Jesus. May we assess our motivations and assess who we are and why we do and say what we do and say. And may we faithfully follow Him. In His name, Amen.